Um, but we are continuing this week again in our Living Hope Sermon series, and we'll, we'll kind of get again into what, why we're doing that and what all that means. Um, but as we get started this morning, I need you to use your imagination for a second. I know I ask you to use your imagination often, um, but uh, the Sunday's no different. So imagine that you're in your home and you're looking out the front window. Okay, you're in your home and you look out the front window, and a car pulls into the driveway. It's an unfamiliar car. You don't you don't recognize it. Um, it's different than anybody you know. It's not their car, um, and a man gets out. And the man uh, goes to the back seat of the car and opens the door and starts pulling out a large uh, package. And uh, you can see he's wearing some sort of uniform. And as he comes closer to the door, as he's, he's approaching your door with this package, you can see that there's a picture of a pizza on the shoulder of his shirt. And you recognize that on top of his car is uh, some sort of delivery logo thing, Pizza Hut or Fox's Pizza or whatever. Name your favorite pizza place. Um, and, and you realize that this is a pizza delivery man. He's bringing pizza and a two-liter of Coke, some breadsticks. Right? And he comes up to the door and knocks, and you, you chat with him for a moment, and he goes on his way. Your response to this, this man uh, showing up and delivering this pizza is, great, pizza's here. Dinner is, is ready, and now we can have this pizza that we probably ordered, hopefully. Um, you're not just eating random pizza that shows up. But, but dinner's here. We welcome this man. We acknowledge he's not a threat. He's a guy doing his job, and he's bringing us dinner. Now imagine uh, that same man shows up to your house, but it's not in the evening. Uh, it's 2.30 in the morning. And instead of pulling the car in the driveway, he pulls it around back and hides it behind the next door, the next door neighbor's garage. And instead of walking up the driveway or the front sidewalk, he's crawling through the bushes. And instead of carrying a, a pizza... Uh, he's got a pry bar. Or, or you see that he's carrying a, a TV uh, from your neighbor's house. Um, he starts crawling through your, your bedroom window instead of knocking on the door. Right, The pizza delivery guy, before he came and he rang the doorbell and knocked on the door, but this time he's coming in through the window or the back door. At this point, do you trust this guy? The guy that showed up at 2.30 in the morning, that's crawling through the bushes, that's trying to climb through the window, uh, carrying a tool to help break into places, or maybe stealing electronics. Do you, do you trust this guy? No. The first guy, he showed up bringing pizza, and you're like, all right, dinner's here. I'm going to eat this pizza. But the second guy, because of all the circumstances and everything going around, it might be the same guy, but because he's showing up at 2.30 in the morning, crawling through the window, crawling through the bushes, trying to steal your TV you know not to trust him. And the point of this imagination, the point of these two stories, is that the identity of the one who shows up determines if you trust them. Right? Who that person is is going to determine if you trust them. And the way that you identify that person's identity 
is determined by the manner in which they appear, right? So the context of their appearance helps you understand what their identity is, and what their identity is determines whether or not you can trust this person. And that's the backdrop of our scripture. Jesus is, um, in this Living Hope series, we're talking about things that happened after the resurrection, encounters that Jesus had with disciples or with other people, and, and, and how he points them to put their hope in him or how he's explaining his role as the resurrected Savior And so this week, we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Um, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, a group of religious leaders in his day. Um, And I'll kind of explain more after we read it. But keep in mind this concept that the way somebody shows up helps you identify who they are. And their identity of who they are helps you determine if you can trust that person. So John 10, verse 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because... They know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, the sheep, may have life and have it to the full. Uh, Pray with me if you will. Father, we ask that you would bless the hearing of your word. We are grateful for it, but not just the word as it appears on uh, pages, black ink on white paper, or digital pixels on an app. We are grateful that this shows up, that we can, some thousands of years after it was originally written, that we can access it, read it in our own language, and, and work to understand it. And for that word, we're grateful. But we're also, more importantly, grateful for, as John says, the word that becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. We're thankful that your son is your word living in our midst. May that word shape us, transform us, call us, guide us as the good shepherd calling sheep home. We thank you and love you. Amen. So Jesus is the good shepherd. Have you ever heard that said before? I'm not making that up, right? Um, That's not original with me. Um, Jesus is the good shepherd. If we had kept reading, if we had read more scripture this morning, um, beyond John 10, um, the first 10 verses, we would see that Jesus says those words several times. The good shepherd, he is the good shepherd. He talks about how a good shepherd will lay down his life on behalf of the flock. A good shepherd uh, 
will, will put himself in danger or put himself in a situation to protect the sheep. He says, on, on the contrast, a hired hand will run away when things get dangerous or scary, but the shepherd cares about the sheep. He has a different type of relationship with the sheep, and so he'll stay. Jesus also says there are sheep that belong to him that aren't in the pen yet. So if we'd kept reading, we would have, we would have seen Jesus talk about the sheep that he needs to go find, the sheep that need to make their way back to the flock. But he says that they will hear his voice, and they'll follow him back home when they hear him. When they, when they acknowledge him, they, they see his voice, and they hear him calling, they will follow him back home. But he needs to go out and get them. They won't find their way home on their own. As a good shepherd, he's got to go find those lost sheep. And this is a, a powerful and a comforting image uh, of Jesus that many of us are familiar with. Um, we have seen pictures and paintings uh, for years of Jesus as the shepherd, Jesus holding little lambs, Jesus uh, shepherding the flock. Um, it's, it's an image that has just saturated church life. Um, the title uh, pastor is, is literally the same word for shepherd. It's, it's, it's become such part of our culture, church culture that it's like it is what the purpose of church is. It's in this context of Jesus as the good shepherd that shepherds his flock. And we read moments ago Psalm 23, a, a really popular um, and well-received psalm when people are going through difficult situations or the loss of a loved one. It comes up often during those times. And we use this image and these words to comfort during times of loss or suffering. And sometimes we talk about Jesus being the shepherd that goes out and finds the lost sheep as an image of salvation, right? That's bringing people back into the, into the flock, into the pen, is a, an image of Jesus saving them, the shepherd that gathers the lost sheep. John chapter 10 begins with Jesus talking to Pharisees, right? And it is correct and appropriate to use this passage to talk about Jesus, the good shepherd, to talk to people who need comforting uh, or salvation, to talk about the mission of Jesus. This is absolutely appropriate to do this, but in this context, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And so that shapes the conversation. And so that's what we're going to focus on. I'm not trying to say don't read Psalm 23 at the funeral of a loved one. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that this specific instance where he's talking to the Pharisees, uh, because he's talking to Pharisees, takes on a different uh, meaning uh, or a different nuance. Pharisees in the scripture are sometimes portrayed as representative of all Jewish people. Sometimes we'll talk about you know, Pharisees as if they represent all of Judaism, a a, a legalistic uh, understanding of, of faith, following the law to the nth degree, trying to make up little tiny rules that everybody has to follow, trying to get saved through legalistic fo rule following. Um, and so sometimes people will say, well, the Pharisees represent all of Judaism, and Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees, so Jesus shows up to replace Judaism or the Jewish faith. That's not the case. Not all Jews are Pharisees. In fact, Jesus, part of the reason he got in trouble with the Pharisees was because he had a huge crowd of Jewish people that followed him rather than following the Pharisees, right? So it's a bit of an oversimplification to say, well, the Jewish faith 
was like a Pharisaic faith. They liked the Pharisees because so many people heard what Jesus had to say, and we're going with that guy instead. Um, Jesus had these huge crowds that embraced his teachings and followed him. And, and scripture may sometimes make us think that all the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, but that's not the case. Um, in fact, there's some, some scholarship, and I'm not saying this is, this is the case, but there's some recent scholarship, um, biblical scholarship that says Jesus may have been trained in the school of Pharisees, like he may have been a Pharisee um, in, in training at some point. He may have been part of that community, but again, we're not going to chase that rabbit today. Um, many stories of the Pharisees and Jesus are in conflict with each other, right? Um, they're challenging Jesus. They're questioning him. They have a problem with his using authority or his healing on the Sabbath or um, his saying that he could forgive sins. Like They had a problem with the way that he taught. And so Jesus begins this conversation with the Pharisees um, and it, it, to understand what's going on here, you actually have to rewind a chapter to John chapter 9, um, because this is a continuation of that story. And if we want to understand why Jesus started talking to the Pharisees, we have to understand the beginning of the story and look at what was going on. So John chapter 9, if you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Hannah preached on this scripture um, this was the text, the story of the, the blind man that was healed with the, the mud and eye. And uh, Hannah did a great job explaining that, but I'm going to review just quickly the events of this story to refresh our memories. So John chapter 9, the story that just precedes our scripture today, a blind man is healed. And so to understand all that is going on here, we need to start with the foundation that this blind man is the sheep, right? So connect those dots between Hannah's sermon a few weeks ago, John chapter 9, this blind man in John chapter 10, the story for today, Jesus is talking about this blind man like he's the sheep. And so as we follow the story, let's ask the question, who is acting like a shepherd by taking care of the sheep and meeting his needs? Who's leading this man closer to God and what God has for him? Who's, and in contrast, who is acting like a thief or a robber who's bringing harm to the sheep, who is leading the sheep away from God. And who does the sheep choose to follow? Because remember, Jesus concludes his thing saying, the sheep will know the shepherd's voice and will follow him, but they won't follow a stranger. So this story happens. Jesus encounters this blind man. He spits in the dirt and he, he, he rubs it in the, the guy's eyes and he sends him to a place to go wash. And when he returns from that place, this blind man can see. And the people who see him uh, take him to the Pharisees to figure out what happened, as you would. Like, there's a miracle. Let's go talk to the religious experts, figure out what's going on. And some Pharisees immediately declare that Jesus is a sinner who doesn't keep the Sabbath. So here's a man that's been miraculously healed, and the religious experts, the religious leaders' initial response is, well, let's find out what's wrong with the situation. Jesus isn't keeping Sabbath. He broke rules to do this. He didn't keep the Sabbath. Then they ask this uh, once blind man how Jesus restored his sight. And this man says, I don't know. 
So I don't know how it works. I once was blind, now I can see, right? There's a lyric, famous lyric that many of us know from Amazing Grace. Uh, once he was blind and now he can see. This Pharisee keeps asking how Jesus did it. And I'm just going to read a little bit of, of John chapter 9. Again, it's a little bit of a rerun from, from Hannah's message, but I, I want us to, to understand the context for John chapter 10. So in 9, uh, ch- verse 27, he says, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? The blind man asks the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? Then that upset them, and in verse 28, it says that they hurled insults at this once blind man, this man who has now received sight, who had been blind his whole life, and now he has received sight and has a newfound faith or a growing faith in God. And he says, well, do you want to follow this Jesus too? And the religious leaders said, we are disciples of Moses, not that guy. And they started hurling insults at him. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Again, keep in mind Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees. He says, the shepherd comes through the gate. Thieves and robbers will sneak around and come from behind. But you'll know who the shepherd is because he'll come through the gate and he'll take care of the sheep. The Pharisee said, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly people who does his will. And nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. And to this he replied, you were steeped, the Pharisees, to the blind man, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And that's when Jesus hears about this, about the man getting thrown out. And so he he goes and he talks to this once blind man. And Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Now the Pharisees hear this, and now they get mad at Jesus. They ask him if he thinks they are blind too. And Jesus says that, no, you can see, and that's why you're in trouble, because you should be able to understand what is happening here. And because they can see and don't understand, they are guilty of their sin. They should be able to see and make the right decisions, but they aren't doing it. And that's where Jesus begins explaining to the Pharisees, the teaching that is our scripture that I read a few moments ago. Right after that, he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And that gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of him, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. So Jesus shows up and he heals this man who's been blind his whole life, and the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the religious experts, the ones that are closest to God and their understanding of the teachings of God, the holy ones that everyone is supposed to look up to, they can't see that Jesus is from God. 
But this blind guy who isn't particularly special or holy or doesn't have a title and he doesn't have any special training or anything special about him other than he's been blind since birth, the blind guy can see who Jesus is. That this life-giving person, this Jesus, has to be from God. And I, I love the Gospel of John because it does this type of thing is we have these people that have the best glasses to see God, the most training, the most experience, all the privilege involved of being religious experts, and they can't see. But the blind guy sees clearly. And I love how Jesus and this gospel just turns everything upside down. So all of this happens, and Jesus explains to the Pharisees, and they still don't understand. They still can't see what God is doing through Jesus. And so Jesus explains it to them as simply as possible. Like, let me tell it to you how a third grader would understand it, right? He says, others have come before me. Pharisees and other religious leaders, teachers, whatever. They've come to the sheep, but not as a shepherd who has cared for the sheep. But like thieves and robbers, he says. He says, Jesus himself is the good shepherd. He says that the sheep will follow him because they recognize his voice as one who will lead them to life. They may not know all the details, they may not know all the education, all the background, may not have everything memorized in the Old Testament or whatever, but they know his, his voice because they know it will lead them to life. This Jesus, this is the good shepherd, will lead them out of the gate to go find the food that they need for the day in these green pastures. And when they have what they need for the day, he will lead them back home together where they will be cared for in a gathered community. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. Now, we aren't very familiar with the practices of shepherding from 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean wilderness. Like, it's, a, it's, it's such a foreign concept that when, even when I'm talking about it, you might have images in your mind. I know I ask you to use your imagination a lot. Um, but we don't have proper context to fully understand what Jesus was saying when he says he's the good shepherd. And so I want us to, to take a moment to, to get a little bit of exposure to what being a shepherd 2,000 years ago meant uh, in Israel, what it, would, what it would mean to be a shepherd when he said these things. And so um, I've got a video that hopefully you all can see. There's, it's the audio to it, and it's, it's going to be a, a, a man... Uh, an educator in Israel explaining to a group what it meant to be a shepherd in the wilderness 2,000 years ago. And to teach this lesson, he takes them into the wilderness of Israel where they can watch uh, shepherds actually leading their flock. So um, go ahead. As part of a shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a Westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. 
And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance, so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly, grazing what's there. Now, you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there. Just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm going to plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. Ten minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough. So probably not the picture of green pastures that you had in your mind when Hannah read Psalm 23 this morning. The image of the shepherd, of, of being a shepherd in the wilderness, of being sheep in the wilderness, is, is following the shepherd and trusting in the moment. And that's why it's so important that the, the scripture reminds us, and Jesus says in John 10, he says, those who know the voice of the shepherd and follow him, will, they will have the abundant life, life to the full. Those that will follow the, the look, bring up that mental picture again of, of the, the sheep in the wilderness there. What happens to a sheep that quits following that shepherd? 
what happens if they don't move with the flock? If they get distracted or, or find themselves being called in another direction from which the shepherd is going. For those, for those flocks, it's a, it's a matter of, of life and death in the wilderness. And so Jesus says, those who know the voice of the shepherd and follow him will have abundant life. But this is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment shepherding. The good shepherd guides us in our day-to-day lives. And it's only the shepherd who is caring for the flock. Only the shepherd, says Jesus, comes through the gate. Only the shepherd is providing for the flock. He says the shepherd is concerned about what can be given to the flock, how to care for it. Jesus contrasts that with the idea of thieves and robbers who are come and concerned about what they can get from the flock, how it can benefit them. And for us today, as Christians, there's a lot of people who want us to follow them. There's a lot of voices out there calling to you that want you to follow them. Some of them might use the language of religion, might use the language of faith. But ultimately, there's false shepherds out there who aren't as concerned about feeding and caring for you. Rather, they want something from you, not something for you. This is the message of Jesus. This is what he's calling out of the Pharisees. He says, there's been other before me, and they they haven't taken care of the flock. He says, only the shepherd shows up caring about you and your well-being. The thieves show up in the middle of the flocks, but they have different motives. It's as night and day as the pizza guy versus the guy crawling through your window at 2.30 in the morning. And so for us as Christians, as followers of the good shepherd, we need to learn to hear the voice of the shepherd. We need to learn how to faithfully follow the voice of the shepherd. Because, of course, it's important to hear the the call of Jesus inviting us to join the flock. Uh, A lot of church culture focuses on that, reaching people that are outside the flock and hearing Jesus call them home to be a part of it. And obviously becoming a Christian is such a critical decision. And and it's a proper response to the invitation of the shepherd. But a shepherd's job isn't to get as many sheep in the flock as possible. That's not the mission of the shepherd. It's not to, to get the largest flock possible. No, he's given a different task. He's, he's been hired to care for the sheep. to to meet those needs, to guide them to places where they will find life, to lead them away from dangerous places. A shepherd cares for the moment-by-moment needs of this flock. And a sheep can only follow a shepherd if they know the shepherd. Jesus says that they won't follow a stranger. It has to be a familiar voice. And so in this this era of of kind of public uh, discourse, conversation, there are so many competing voices that seek to get us excited, distracted, worried. And so in this, in this season, in this culture that we live in, we need to remember that we should only desire to follow the shepherd's voice. Now, there's voices that can point us towards the shepherd, of course. But only the shepherd's voice, only the shepherd of the sheep, has the voice that will lead us to green pastures, to the place where we can find this abundant life, in whatever moment we find ourselves in. The Pharisees couldn't see God at work 
They didn't know the voice of the shepherd and therefore couldn't follow Jesus to abundant life. And so the invitation for us today is to to hear the shepherd's voice, learn to hear it more clearly amongst all the other noise and voices in our lives, hear the shepherd's voice, and to trust the leading of the shepherd in every area of our life. That sounds like a big invitation, and it is, especially in the culture where we like to put things in in buckets and categories. I'll follow Jesus in this bucket, but at work I'm going to follow this other thing, or when it comes to my political engagement, I'm going to follow this voice, or when it comes to the entertainment I participate in and, and, and consume, I'm going to follow this voice. You know, church is one thing, but... And so this invitation to the, let the shepherd's voice be the only voice that you follow is a big invitation. It's a challenging one. And that's why for a while now I've been um, kind of broken record uh, repeating this idea about worship, connect, and serve as our emphasis here at First Church. That the mission, the purpose, what it means to be a disciple is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And underneath that, you'll see that our love for God is worship, and our our love for others is Christian fellowship and connection and, and serve the world as service to others, right? Well, why do I keep, like a broken record, bringing this up all the time? Well, because these are the things that helps us hear the the shepherd's voice. It helps us to know the shepherd's voice. It helps us to be familiar enough to distinguish between the voices of the stranger and the shepherd. It gives us the lens to be able to see the difference between the pizza man delivering the the pizza and the guy crawling through our window at 2.30 in the morning. This is the best lens that I've, I've figured out as a pastor, is worship, Christian fellowship, and Christian service. So worship, I'm I'm including prayer, right? Uh, Pastor Will used to start every service over at Hope with, have you come to worship? Um, What a great question to start a service with. Because a Christian who does not worship has to be entertained. That's a a quote from a pastor from like 100 years ago. A Christian who does not worship has to be entertained, and Jesus isn't here to entertain us. He is our shepherd calling us to follow him. And so, so a Christian who doesn't worship has to be entertained. A Christian who isn't engaged in worship is, is, is missing an opportunity to learn the voice of the shepherd. There was a time in the, in the life of the church where Sunday morning was viewed as a, a, a worship service, but the service was us serving God. We'd come to worship God. And somehow through the years, church growth movement, competing church cultures, uh, whatever consumerism type of thing, you got options to go to, worship service becomes, I show up and people are going to serve me what I want. But the, the origination, the original purpose of a Sunday morning worship service was for the people to come and worship God. Um, and a church that doesn't worship the only thing they have to offer is entertainment. And I tied in, like I said, prayer into, into this category of worship. A church that doesn't pray will not know the shepherd's voice. If we don't spend regular time talking with God, having conversations with God, we won't recognize the still, quiet voice of the shepherd out in the wild. That's why we spend so much time inviting people to prayer. Um, we've got designated spaces. We've made tried to make it an emphasis here at First Church. 
church that doesn't pray won't know the voice of the shepherd. Um, in, in the next bucket category, love others, connection, Christian fellowship, right? A, a church that isn't deliberate about being discipled as part of a community of believers will not know what the shepherd is calling them to do or to be. It's as we are gathered together that we understand our role and purpose, right? There's times where we might wander off and the other sheep are our reference points back. So, hey, buddy, the flock's going this way. You might think there's greener pastures over there, but come on back into the pen. <laughs> the shepherd's leading us this way. This is one of the primary uh, purposes of the gathered community of, of, of Christ in the church as disciples, is to disciple one another, to guide each other, encourage one another to follow the voice of the shepherd. And then Christian service, a church that doesn't focus on serving others will have that small, quiet voice of the shepherd drowned out because we live in a culture that has a loud, booming voice, demanding voice of self. And so Christian service is rebellion against our culture's selfish motives. And when we start focusing on the needs of others, we can start hearing that quiet whisper of Jesus, the good shepherd. If we're focused on ourselves, then all we hear is the culture lining up shouting things at us. But if we resist that, reject it, rebel against it by caring for others' needs, we can hear the voice of the shepherd. The truth is that Jesus knows and Jesus cares for us. He desires to guide us, to protect us, to give us abundant life. I said that before, an abundant life isn't quantity of things. You know, the image of the, the little sparsely spread out green tufts of, of whatever. Um, abundant life isn't laying down in a pasture full of, of alfalfa, he says, where you have everything you will ever need. But no, it's, it's abundant life. It's a quality of life in which the shepherd is leading and caring for us. Jesus knows and he cares for us, but he, he cannot shepherd us if we are unable to hear his voice or if we are unwilling to go when he calls. Right? If we are unable to hear his voice, obviously we can't follow it. And if we can hear his voice but refuse it, then he can lead us any which way and we don't end up there. And so the invitation for us the important task, the, the challenge to us is learn to hear the shepherd's voice. Trust the leading of the shepherd in all areas of your life. Engage in practices and habits that allows you to hear and faithfully follow the good shepherd. Because the Pharisees were the religious experts who could not see. And the blind man was a simple guy who just encountered Jesus and said, life is with that guy. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, when we are lured by the voices of the various pop culture shepherds of our age, when we are tempted by the voices of those who are out to misguide, exploit, or fleece us, Lord, have mercy. Father, when we act like 
control freaks wanting to dominate those around us with our ideas and our wishes, or we feel like we have to be the one in control of everything, is if it were up to us to be the good shepherd. Christ have mercy on us. Whenever we become spiritually self-important, imagining that we no longer need the help of other members of the flock of Christ, that we've arrived, crossed the finish line, but can live on our own outside of the flock. Lord, have mercy on us. Heavenly Father, the one true shepherd of our lives, please continue to surround us by day and by night with your unsleeping grace. Father, forgive us of our rebellion, rescue us from our wandering ways, dig us out of the mire and set our feet on the secure but narrow path that leads to abundant life, the life that you would have for us. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.